welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. And guys, if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, click that five-star rating, scroll on down, hit that like button, do anything to help it out. Yes, it's going to help the podcast grow, and I would greatly appreciate it. Now, you can also follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast for more amazing dog training content. And if you want even more from there, become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. Yes, we just got the Patreon going, and there's going to be even more great dog training content coming your way. And of course, on the YouTube channel as well, be sure you follow me on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, click that like button, let me know what you're thinking. I'd love to hear it, guys. Yes. Now, today on the show, we have reinforced behavior. Don't bribe it. Do you know the difference between the two? Because we're going to talk about it today, and it's important that you do. Make sure you're reinforcing behavior and not bribing it. Then we have a segment about people approaching your reactive dog. Do you have a reactive dog? Then you know exactly what I am talking about. People are not exactly the best at respecting space when it comes to pets, and I'm going to give you some tips on how to better deal with that. Then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. And if you guys have questions for that listener Q&A, keep them on coming my way. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or feel free to message me on social media. And guys, for a short time right now, being that we just launched our Patreon, our YouTube, everything's going awesome. I am offering free consultations for my virtual training for a short period of time only. So be sure you reach out to me for that free consultation so we can get going virtually training your dog at home. Yes. Now, before we get going with today's show, I've got to give you that trivia question. Today's trivia question is going to be, what country has the most pet dogs? Yes, what country in the world has the most pet dogs? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around. Sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, reinforce behavior, don't bribe it. There's a definite distinction between reinforcement and bribing, right? It, look, the best example we can always give that anybody thinks of, and I get this a lot, it's the recall, right? Your dog coming back to you. That's what a recall is, getting your dog to come back to you. And a lot of people end up relying on a very common bribe, and that's shaking the bag of treats, right? They hear the bag of treats shaking, and they come running. And so it's obvious that that's a bribe, right? You have to have this tool. You have to have this bribe in order to get the dog to come back. Um, like I hear whether, you know, the people will tell me my dog is in the backyard, and I want him to come back. I want him to come inside, and he doesn't want to listen. I'll call him. I'll whistle. Maybe he'll make it a game. The only thing that it will get my dog to come back is shaking the bag of treats, So I don't want you guys to have to rely on a tool that you're going to have to need time and time again to get your dog to do it. And for that matter, you absolutely have to have this tool to get your dog to do the behavior you're looking for. And so we can think, you know, it's it's funny, most people train a sit properly. They do. They end up training a sit correctly. A sit is the most common trained dog command. So we can kind of start like, let's, let's think about it. How many of you out there, and I bet it's vast majority, if not everybody, how many of you out there, you can ask your dog to sit without having a treat, without having the treat pouch, the treat bag, any of that. You can ask your dog to sit and they do, whether you have a treat or not. What that tells us is that that behavior has been reinforced, strengthened, right? It's been reinforced and strengthened enough that I don't need 
my reinforcement. I don't need a bribe. I don't need something else to get the dog. That's the point. I don't need anything else to get the dog to do it. They just do it. And the main reason why is because it was conditioned properly, unknowingly most likely, but it's because, look, it goes back to it's the most commonly trained behavior and the most commonly trained command. So if you ask for a sit, most likely at least, I mean, I mean, you probably ask for a sit eight to 10 times a day from your dogs when you're first training them, when you first get them, when they're puppies, and you don't even realize it. And so time and time again, your dog's getting reinforcement, whether it be a treat or affection or a good boy or bridging, just bridging the behavior, what, whatever the case might be, you don't realize how many times throughout the day you strengthen that behavior without a bribe. And your dog does it, right? Whether you have that, like I said, does it one way or the other. So it's fascinating when we think about it, we don't even realize you guys actually out there, you use conditioning properly. You do. <laughs> but it's with something as simple as a sit and we don't take that knowledge and, and what we, we don't take that information and transfer it over to everything else we do. All right. So think about it. That's a thing. You're like, oh my God, that's right. Dude, my dog does know how to sit without hesitation every time. No problem. Why is that? because you conditioned it properly. The thing is, when we start getting to more complicated uh, commands, like a recall, where your dog has the freedom, if you're in the backyard, they have the freedom to not listen. There's no constraint. There's more exciting things to sniff over there than listen to you versus being inside the house and training a sit, sit him say, becomes a little more difficult. More distractions, more stimulus equals harder. <laughs> harder to train. Okay, so... That's the point. We have to understand the difference between, look, I find most people, the reason bribes end up becoming bribes is because people get lazy or impatient. One of the two. And that's why they end up bribing their dog, either lazy or impatient, right? So it's either lazy because you just don't really want to follow through and you're just going to grab a bag of treats and shake it. That's being lazy. Um, or impatient is your dog isn't learning fast enough and you start going back and relying on bribes. Now, we're going to talk about relying on bribes and starting with bribes because that's that's the thing I can I can already there's probably some of you out there already thinking and hearing going well David don't we kind of don't we kind of bribe dogs to get them to do certain things like to teach them because again like think about it your dog doesn't know how to sit let's go back to the sit a second we've talked about it like if you haven't checked out my Instagram go check it out uh, at Speak a Dogcast on Instagram we're adding more and more content more and more videos we're getting more and more up there but what I want to tell you is we put an awesome video we put a few awesome videos <laughs> of one in particular on teaching your dog how to sit and the way we do it is through some sort of bribe sort of this is what we're going to we're going to make this distinction today we're going to learn something new okay uh, we've talked about it before but it's it's been a long time since we've gone over this so that's why we got to talk about it again today and that is the term reinforcement sampling now we'll, we'll get into this in a second um but let's let's go back to the sit for a moment before we talk about what reinforcement sampling is a sit two examples i'm actually going to give a sit command right Think about it, guys. We take the treat, we hold it above the dog's nose because the dog doesn't know what we want them to do. They don't know what a sit is, so we have to show them that. And so we do. We use the treat to guide the nose to push them into that going back position into a sit. And then we reinforce with the treat. Okay, so that's how we do the sit. Think about it. We use the treat to guide. Okay, the second example is going to be the crate. What do most of us do when we have puppies and we're, tra we're training them the crate? We take some treats, we throw them in the crate, the dog sees that and goes, cool, I'm going to go get this. Goes into the crate, gets the reward, okay? And they start understanding, boy, I go into this crate and I get a reward. Now, with the second example we can give, um, we can actually start understanding how a bribe versus, you know, reinforcement is going to work against us. Okay, stay with me here. 
Okay, so let's stick with this crate command. I'm gonna throw the treats in for this brand new puppy, doesn't know what I want, doesn't know the crate command. I'm gonna throw treats in and say, go crate. The dog sees the treats, goes in and eats them. Now let's say I rinse and repeat this six, seven, eight times, maybe even a couple days in a row. Throw the treats in, dog goes in, gets them. Now by the sixth or seventh, eighth time, eighth day, whatever, let's say I don't throw the treats in and I say, go crate. And the puppy goes, uh-uh, I'm not going in. You didn't put the treats in there. Uh-huh. So what we need to do, now there's, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to get an actually, I don't even want to get into solving how we fix that. We've talked about this before, but let's not talk about that right now. Let's talk about the idea of what just happened there conceptually. So what we do is we take a treat, and we throw it in the crate. And what we're trying to show our dog is to go into the crate, right? So, so what we're saying is, hey, here's a sample, the treat, here's a sample of reinforcement that you get for going inside the crate. Reinforcement sampling. Okay. There's nothing wrong with using reinforcement sampling. The problem is if you continue using it and never shape the behavior away from that, then it does become a bribe. And then you're relying on that stimulus. And then you're actually conditioning the dog to rely on that treat in the crate in order to go in there. Now, you know what? Forget it. Let's talk. Let's talk about the crate. <laughs> I said I wasn't going to say how we're going to do this. I'm kind of like, you know what? It kind of ties in. Let's just do it. Um, look, when I'm training a puppy to go in the crate, I'm leashing them up. And I'm guiding them in and giving the reinforcement sampling because I prefer to guide and direct behavior as much as I possibly can. If I can give some sort of physical redirection and help guide them in the crate as well as give a uh, reinforcement sample, I'm giving more information. The problem is most people don't leash their dogs up to put them in the crate. They just, you know, throw the treats in there. And so what ends up happening is once the treats don't go in and the dog goes, forget this and walks away from you and now you're SOL, aren't you? Okay, you see the thing. So my whole thing is not only do I have to rely on the reinforcement sampling, I still have to rely on some form of consequence. Oh, punishment, here we go. Correct. Because in that moment, what is the punishment? Think about it, guys, think about it. In that moment, we're going to the crate. I, I, I want them to go into the crate. We've been practicing it by throwing treats in there, letting them go in again, throwing treats in there. But now I'm not giving any treats and the dog doesn't want to go in. What's the punishment? Not getting the treats right? Anything an animal works to avoid, they want to avoid not, oh, I always say this wrong and it's like a double negative and that's why I'm hesitating. They want to avoid not, not getting the food. Am I saying that right? Ah, crap. No, I mean, it's too late in the night. I'm confusing myself. Um, the point is guys, the dogs want the food and just withholding it is a form of punishment, is a consequence. So just by not getting the food, the threat of taking the food away, the dog is not going to want to go in the crate. See what I'm saying? Okay, so if I leash them up and I don't give them the option to walk away, all of a sudden they try to walk away and it doesn't work. And instead I guide them back into the crate. Once they're in the crate, then I give them the treat. I know I've gotten a little confusing here, but you see the point. We've spent five or six days throwing treats in, dog goes in and gets them. Throwing treats in, dog. now sixth, seventh, eighth day comes around. I don't give treats. I say, go to your crate. I don't throw treats in the crate. And I say, go to your crate. Now I have them leashed up, so they try to back away and instead they can't. And instead, I guide them into the crate. Once they're inside the crate, then I give treats. Now, a little side note, I've said my one of my little tricks when I train this um, is that not only do I throw treats when I first start training, not only do I give them a reinforcement sampling, here's what you get, then they go in and they get the reinforcement, I give a second treat after the fact. So they go in, they eat their treats, they turn around and look at me, and I give them another treat. 
This makes it a heck of a lot easier, right? It really does. So when I start removing that initial reinforcement sampling, when I start removing those initial treats that are in the crate, they're still more likely to want to go in that crate because they know there's a secondary reward coming from me after the fact. Okay, see what I'm saying? A little side note there. It's important to understand that if I can find a way to reinforce a behavior twice, right? Theoretically, then the dog's going to learn twice as fast. And they will, because not only are they, again, stick with me, not only are they getting that reinforcement sample, but once they go in, they get the treat after the fact as well. So they're less likely to want to go, eh, I'm out of here, I'm not gonna go in the crate, because in the past they've already gotten a crate secondary to that first uh, treat, first reinforcement. Okay, I know a little confusing and I probably fumbled over some of that because like I said, it's a little late right now while I'm recording tonight. <laughs> it's been a long day, long few days. Um, so there it is, all right? It's important that we understand to learn how to shape behaviors because that's just it. A reinforcement sampling is something that should be early on in the training and we should slowly be able to shape that uh, behavior away from the sample to more of an after-the-fact reinforcement. And there's there it is. Reinforcement is an after-the-fact. Even think about it with reinforcement sampling. Think about the crate. The dogs don't get the treats before they go in the crate. They have to go in the crate to get the treats. It's an after the fact. They're actually giving me the desired behavior of going in the crate and then they get the reward. So even though it's here's the sample of what you get, the reinforcement still doesn't come until they do what I need them to do. Then we can slowly shape that into they go in the crate, then I give the treat. And then we can shape it into they go in the crate, I don't even need to give them a treat and they just do it. Okay, look, Riker, um, is a great example. I can, he still loves his crate because we conditioned it very well from the beginning. You know, he's over two years old now and he still goes into uh, crates that I have set up for client dogs here all the time. And often, to, it's so funny, sometimes I'll even say, hey, go crate to the client dog and Riker's trying to beat him into the crate. I'm like, yeah, I'm going in there, man. I, this is my fun place. I get food, I get, okay. We conditioned it very well to the point that he still loves it and I don't even need to give him a treat and he'll still go in and go lay down, you know? And to the point, if you condition it correctly, that even though I don't give him a treat, he'll still lie down and be totally relaxed and be fine with the fact that I'm not giving him a treat. Okay. All right. So reinforcement sampling. Here's a sample of what you get if you do the desired behavior. We use it with a sit command, right? With the treat above the head. We use it with a lie down command. We bring the treat in front of the nose and encourage that lie down motion. Now I take the treat and right, it's in my hand and the lie down. I hide the treat in my hand, I don't let them get to it until they lie down. There's the sample portion, right? If I gave them the treat before they lay down, then it's not anything. Does that make sense? So here's a sample of what you get once you do the desired behavior, okay? That's reinforcement sampling. The problem is, again, just to reiterate, if we rely on reinforcement sampling too much and we don't ever shape the behavior away from it, it turns into bribing, and then you actually condition your dog to rely on that bribe in order to do the right behavior. And again, to me, at that point, it's not even bribing, it's you've conditioned your dog to think this is what I was supposed to do. I wait until I hear the treat bag to start running toward you, okay? All right, so, just kinda wanted to dispel this this little, you know, uh, it's, it's dispelling bad info on what reinforcement is because unfortunately I hear this a lot at appointments where when I first walk in with food, people go, I don't wanna rely on the treat. I don't wanna rely on the food. I don't wanna have to bribe my dog. 
And the reason they all say that is because quite frankly, and myself included, I used to be one of these people, they don't understand what reinforcement is, what truly, what the concept of reinforcement is. Look, I haven't said the definition today, so we're going to. The definition of reinforcement, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, they're both reinforcement. Um, look, if, you have, if you're a newer listener and you haven't listened to my segments on psychology, uh, Psych 101, we just did a segment recently within the past few episodes, so go check it out. All of my awesome information on psychology, you've got to check it out because you have to have the right information, guys. Negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, they both are used to increase behavior. Negative reinforcement is the removal of a stimulus to increase a behavior, increase a targeted behavior, increase a behavior, and positive reinforcement is the addition of a stimulus also to increase a targeted behavior. We're not going into depth on those definitions today. Go check out my other segments, lots of great info in there, and you can get in depth on that. Today I wanted to focus on that bribing reinforcement sampling side and understanding that distinction between the two. Okay, so again guys, just to reiterate, there's nothing wrong with quote unquote, bribing your dog when you're teaching them a brand new behavior. Look, I can't just look at my dog and go, hey, sit down on your butt and you get a treat, right? I can't just ask him, tell him what to do and he's just gonna do it. It doesn't work that way. We have to guide and shape these behaviors and the way we do that is through reinforcement sampling. Here's a sample of what you get once you do the desired behavior, okay? Reinforcement has to come after the fact. It cannot be before. Think about it from being a little kid. I don't know about you guys, but I didn't get the reward before I made the good grades, right? Like you're not going to get dessert before you do the desired, before you, you know, little kid, you've got to behave at dinner and then you get dessert. It's not, well, you've got to behave at dinner, but I'm going to give you the dessert as an appetizer beforehand. What's the kid's motivation to want to continue being good if there's no sample of the reward? right? The reward has to be on the opposite, on the end of it, on the end of the behavior. Do the desired behavior, then you get the reward. Not, well, here's the reward and I'm going to bribe you and I'm going to hope you do it because here it, no, not quite guys, not quite. All right. So remember the distinction between reinforcement sampling and bribing and make sure you're utilizing these tools to shape desired behaviors to get your dog to do what you would like them to do. And of course, they're happy to do it. Well, happy. <laughs> I said that, didn't I? We don't know if they're happy. Not getting into that ethical debate today. But remember, guys, remember, reinforce behavior. Don't bribe it. And you'll be on the right track with your dog. Tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Approaching your reactive dog. 
tougher topic today, tougher subject. Um, look, the first thing I want to say is if you guys do have a reactive dog, if you do have a dog with tendencies to be aggression or aggress out, um, please, please seek help from a professional. Please talk to a professional trainer, behavior specialist. It's very important that you have the knowledge and information to understand what's going on with your dog and to properly deal with it. Whether that's reaching out to myself through a virtual consultation or a professional in your area, please make sure you do. Look, this stuff is a little more intense, and sometimes I even myself, I might make, make the recommendation that you need to find somebody in your area to find a one-on-one -on -one experience. Uh, I just wanna be honest with all of you. When it comes to this kind of behavior, these kind of behaviors, it's important that you have a one-on-one -on -one experience a lot of times. Some of these things we can solve. Uh, you might be surprised what we can solve of virtual training, but at the same time, seek the advice and help from a professional. All right, so... Look, this, this kind of came up, this topic, because of some things I've been seeing on the internet and how you should respond to people out in public with your reactive dog. Now, look, I'm the first to, to say it because <laughs> how many times have you heard me complain about it? People are not respectful when it comes to your dogs in public. They're just not. And it's it's gotten out of control. Okay, first of all, guys, I'm here to tell you, dogs in public are not here for your benefit, Okay, somebody else's dog out in public is not there for you to pet, is not there for you to Google over, to, to ooh, and, and, and. no, like, I, I, I see, you know, you see the memes online where it's like, I see a dog and I can't help myself, I have to go say hi to them. No, you can help yourself because you're an adult, okay, act like it. Have some respect for other people, their pets and their personal space, and stop invading it. That's the first thing, because honestly, if people would stop approaching dogs in the incorrect way, we wouldn't have so many damn problems with reactivity, but the reality is people don't approach dogs the way dogs are meant to be approached. We approach them from a human perspective and not from a dog perspective. And gee, I wonder why we get issues. Not blaming the owners. A lot, you know, a lot of these reactivity type things, it's not the owner's fault. They've adopted a dog. They're trying to make it better. And people just have no respect and walk right up and start petting dogs without asking or eye contact or start talking to them. I know I look like a fool. That's what you look like out in public when you act like that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we've got to talk about this because it just stinks. So the first thing I want to say is, guys, stop approaching dogs you don't know. Don't make eye contact with a dog you don't know. Stop doing it. There's a human being there. Approach and talk to the human being first. Find out if it's acceptable for you to ask that dog, to, to uh, excuse me, to, to say hello to that dog, to pet that dog, to make eye contact with that dog. Look, when I first walk in a house with a new client, especially if the dog is reactive or has aggression issues, the last thing I do is make eye contact with the dog. Now, I'm not gonna go too in depth about eye contact and body language, that's not what we're talking about today. But guys, eye contact is communication for dogs, and a lot of times something as simple as eye contact can start a fight. Something as simple as eye contact can make a dog very uncomfortable. It really depends on how you're doing it. Um, so that's the first thing. When you're out in public and you wanna say hi to a dog, Approach the owner first. Don't even make eye contact with the dog. I don't care how good the dog looks, how well behaved they look. doesn't matter. That can change in a heartbeat. All it takes is whatever trigger that that dog has. And look, I'm not trying to like scare everybody into, oh, you shouldn't say hi to dogs out in public. That's not what I'm trying to say. We've got a puppy in my room making some noise, rolling around over here. Um, anyway, uh, it's so funny. Sometimes when I'm on microphone here, you hear the noises in your headphones and it doesn't, you're talking, you hear your voice and then you hear the noise and you're like, what is that? And it's just like a dog rolling around behind me, but it's kind of funny sounding in my ears. Anyway, so yeah, you know, that, that to me, it's one of my biggest pet peeves to not approach a dog, approach the human. 
I think it's really rude, quite frankly, to approach the dog before you approach the... I mean, it really is. It's, it's, it's rude. So it's rude and unsafe. All right. I, I've said enough of that. So, okay, guys. So I saw this guy on the internet um, basically telling people to conf- be an advocate for your dog. That's a... Be an advocate for your dog. Look, I'm I'm for that, but it's like the way they say it and the way they do it that bothers me. Um, (laughs) Okay. Uh, Look, he was literally putting his hand out and stopping people physically, getting in front of them. And he's he's a big, intimidating guy, this person. I'm going, dude, you just, you can't, I'm sorry, but you just can't do that. I, I get people are approaching your dog and they're in the wrong. I get it. But you putting your hand on somebody and forcing them away, Eight times, nine times out of 10, it's probably not going to end so well. I mean, I'm just saying, that's not that's not going to help anything. How about you turn and walk away with your dog 10 feet and then turn around and try to talk to the person? No, let's not do it. Okay, so that's the first thing, guys. Always give yourself an outlet. If you have a reactive dog and you're taking them out into public, I mean this in the nicest way possible, it's partially because other people are irresponsible, but it's also partially because it's not other people's job to watch out for your reactive dog. That's Everybody needs to do their part. So if you have a reactive dog, the number one thing you need to do when you're out in public is always make sure you have an out. Always make sure you have a way to get away from something, to move away, to give yourself space, to give your dog space, okay? Um, even like even when I'm, when I'm introducing dogs for the first time, when I'm out in public and I see another dog and, you know, my dog's good and what I'm reading from that dog is good, when I let them say hi, it's nice loose leashes And I'm watching very carefully because I'm always giving myself a way out. I keep the leash loose, even if I have to like dangle it underneath the other person's arm. And I'm always making sure the leashes are not tangled, they're loose, and I got a way to get out of there if I need to. Okay. So if you have a reactive dog, when you take them out into public, that's what you always need to be thinking. Where's my way out? And if you don't have a way out, fix it. Okay. That's the number one way to avoid conflict is to give yourself an out. I cannot stress it enough. Okay. So... That's the first thing. The second thing is, look, guys, it is going to help. If you have a, it doesn't, don't get me wrong, it's not going to be the end all be all, but it helps, at least with some people, (laughs) Um, some more aware people. If you have a leash that says reactive dog, if your dog can wear a vest, reactive dog, or please do not pet, or working dog, or any of these identifiers, it is going to help. It's not going to stop everybody, but it is going to help. Okay, so make sure you have some kind of identifier on your dog that you're training, that you're working, that you do not want people to approach them. Um, Interesting thing is, I know some people you'll hear it out there where you'll take your dog out into public. It's a reactive dog. You're trying to work through and people, you have no business bringing your dog out into public if they're like that. You know, to me, it's a head scratcher. Like, how do you ever fix the dog reacting in public if you never take them in public? As a matter of fact, sheltering them in your home and not exposing them to things is only going to make it worse. You got to start somewhere. You know, you're going to start, don't get me wrong, I don't want you to take a fully reactive dog you've never worked with. Do not take them out into public right away. That is not what I am saying. Uh, you should work at home first. Again, this is why you need to get with a professional, guys. Um, but... Yeah, that's my argument is how in the world do you ever get a dog, a reactive dog, over being reactive if you can't take them out to places where there's triggers for their reactivity? Okay. So that's a part of it. But you got to do it smart and you got to be safe. Hence why we're providing identifiers and giving ourselves a way out. Very important stuff, guys. Um, the third thing I would say is it kind of ties into what I just said, really. Make sure you've worked with your reactive dog 
a ton. I mean, I'm talking weeks and weeks and months and months of training, potentially, depending on the issues, depending upon your dog, before you ever take them out into public, guys. It's very important you have a solid foundation with your dog before you try to go out into the world uh, and, and, and potentially have a ton of triggers, okay? So, um, you know, that's, that's something you really got to be doing. Work on it at home before you go out. Now, I know this is just, it's never, look, the name of the, of the top of the, uh, of the segment is obviously people approaching your dog. And it stinks because even when I have a non-reactive dog, I can't stand the way people approach me. It makes me, most people, makes me crazy because we don't do it right. Okay. So, <laughs> the thing is, guys, when it comes to reactivity in your dogs, every dog is going to be a little different. And this is why I can't just go, here's the book and how you fix it. Because it's just not that simple. It's just not. The, the, but the reality side of it is you do have to expose your dogs to these triggers in order to fix it. You know, this is, this is the tough part about dog training. The bad behaviors, the undesired behaviors, they kind of have to come out. They do in order to show your dog to not do those behaviors and that there's an alternative option to those behaviors. But there is no other way to fix behavior without those behaviors actually happening. Okay. And so that's the tough part is how do you find that balance between taking your dog out into public and not having a swarm of people come over and pet your adorable dog? Um, I, I hear you. Uh, it's, it's a tough thing, guys. It really is. But to me, it's all about being proactive. Again, like if you listen to my list of things today, it's about being proactive. Number one, contact a professional and get the right information. Number two, you always need to be giving yourself a way out. Always, always, always. You always need to be thinking, where is my outlet when you have a reactive dog out in public? Okay. Number three is you've got to start the work at home. You need to be doing weeks, if not months of homework and work with your dog um, in quieter places, in your neighborhood, maybe at home, depending upon what the situation and what the reactivity level and triggers are. But you need to be working on this stuff at home in non-reactive places before you put them in those full throttle modes, guys. It's tough, okay? Another thing is we gotta make sure we're putting identifiers on our dog. They don't always help, but they're going to help with a lot of people. So it's important that you do the right thing and take responsibility for your dog by putting a vest on them, a leash on them that says do not pet, working dog, in training, all these different things that we can put as markers to identify. We don't want people um, interacting with our dog. One other very, 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 very large um, training tool that is going to be the best training tool for your reactive dog, and I know a lot of people don't like to hear this, but it's a muzzle. You should be training your reactive dog to accept and be okay with a muzzle because, guys, the safest way to take your dog out into public if they're reactive, the safest way, there's no argument, there's no, you cannot argue this, the safest way to do it is with a muzzle on. Now, at some point, the muzzle's got to come off. I mean, in my opinion, that's how we work through this stuff. But it's important that you start with a muzzle. Um, look, I do believe most any behavior can be solved, can be fixed. But at the end of the day, I'm a realist. And over the years, I've seen it. Some behaviors come down to managing them. Okay? Some dogs, some situations, some environments, some scenarios, some owners, depending on what it is, it's not necessarily a full 180 fix with the dog, but rather managing behaviors, okay? And one of the best ways we can manage uh, aggressive or reactive behaviors um, like that is going to be through a muzzle, okay? It just eliminates anybody getting hurt, doesn't it? Yes, so please, if you have a reactive dog, you should be working on introducing a muzzle to them, and then of course having them wear it when they're out in public. Look guys, reactive dogs, it's never a fun thing to deal with, it's just not. Um, 
it's an amazing accomplishment if you can get them over them, uh, over that aggra- those aggressive tendencies. And it feels incredible when you can make a dog feel better, right? Feel more comfortable and not so anxious. Um, it really is, but it's tough. It's tough and it's not something any trainer ever wants to do. We don't want to have to go in and deal with these behaviors. We do it because we love dogs and we want them to be in a better state of mind. Okay. So this isn't something to take lightly. And again, I'm just going to reiterate it one more time. If you do have a reactive dog, please hire a professional, please seek out professional help, either whether it be myself through a virtual consultation and we can talk about it or a local trainer or behavior specialist in your area. Do your vetting guys, aggression and reactivity, not one of those things you want to mess around with. Make sure you have a professional who knows what they're doing and knows how to handle these things properly. Um, But to me, when you're out in public, one of the worst ways you can handle reactive dogs is through aggressive uh, body language with yourself, being aggressive at another person. Look, most people that approach your dog, it's it's ignorance, guys. It's not stupidity, it's ignorance. And so you can't be, <sighs> anger is not going to educate that person and enlighten them. It's just not, it's just not gonna happen. Give me an example where getting pissed off at somebody has ever solved anything in that kind of scenario. It's trying to educate them and enlighten them. It's just not gonna happen. So if you truly wanna educate and enlighten them, Turn and walk away from them and go, hey, you know, hey, I'm trying to train my dog. Uh, it's kind of reactive. Would you mind helping me? See how we can turn that into a training opportunity for both the dog and the person as opposed to going, putting your hand down, going, getting in the way. And Like, guys, I'm all for protecting your dog and being an advocate for your dog. Like, don't get me wrong, but let's not be stupid about this stuff. Keep a head on your shoulders. Come on. All right. How in the world is you being aggressive with that aggressive energy and body? How in the world do you think that's going to help your aggressive, potentially anxious dog? It's not. You got to be cool, calm, and collected. And I'm sorry, but going out like this gets another person and getting It's not going to help anything, guys. It's just not. It's not going to make your dog feel comfortable. And it sure as hell isn't going to make that stranger who doesn't even know you feel comfortable. They're in the wrong. But guys, the old saying, for crying out loud, two wrongs don't make a right. Don't be a moron about how to handle your reactive dog. Hire a professional. All right. So again, guys, not something to be taken lightly. Be smart out there, be safe out there, hire a professional, and good luck working with your reactive dog. The answer to today's trivia question, what country has the most pet dogs? It's the United States. Yes, we have about 75.8 million pet dogs. And Brazil comes in second, but pretty far behind us at 35.7 million dogs. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the First Pets. Today on the First Pets, we'll be talking about George W. Bush. Now, George Bush, he was the 43rd president of the United States, serving from 2001 to 2009. Now, Bush did have an eventful presidency, having been in office during the attacks of September 11th, the Iraqi War, the 2008 financial crisis, and of course, we can't forget the controversial 2000 election with all of those recounts. Now, but one thing with the Bush family, they were dog and animal lovers, having quite a few pets over the years. Now, first up, it was their cat, 
India. Now, the cat was adopted in late 1991 when their twin daughters, Jenna and Barbara, were just nine years old. Now, at the time they got India, Bush actually owned the baseball team, the Texas Rangers, and his daughter, Barbara, named the black cat after the star player, Ruben Sierra, whose nickname was El Indio. Now, while they got the cat in 1991, it wasn't until, or excuse me, 2004, that protesters in India burned an effigy of the president in protest of the cat's name, saying that it was an insult to their country. I guess everybody's getting a little soft nowadays. I mean, okay. Uh, <laughs> India was known to frequent the library as her favorite room in the White House. She lived to the ripe old age of 18, passing away at the White House only weeks before the Bushes moved out. Well, it's an old kitty. Now, the Bushes' first dog that they had was a brown and white English Springer Spaniel named Spot. Now, we briefly talked about Spot once before in this segment, and that's because Spot was the offspring of George Bush Sr.'s dog, Millie. Now, Spot was littermates with Ranger, who went on to become George Sr.'s dog, and then Spot went with the younger Bush. Now, sports, uh, Spot's, excuse me, Spot's full name was Spot Fetcher, as a reference to Texas Ranger shortstop player Scott Fletcher. <laughs> now, he got along well with the other animal additions to the Bush household, but unfortunately, Spot started to suffer from strokes as he aged, and the Bushes unfortunately had to put him down in 2004. Now, next in the lineup is Barney. Barney was a Scottish terrier given to the president as a gift from then-New Jersey governor Christine Todd Whitman. Barney got along well with the other pets as well. He, you know, he became quite popular among the American public. He had his own website and Barney Cam, yes, Barney Cam, which featured videos from the dog's perspective of visiting dignitaries and celebrities alike. However, Barney did have a few behavioral issues. We've heard time and time again, the White House did not necessarily have the most well-behaved pets. <laughs> yes, uh, he actually bit the PR director of the Boston Celtics as well as a news reporter. Now, last but not least was another Scottish Terrier and a cousin of Barney's, Miss Beasley. Miss Beasley, I'll be nasty. Sorry, office reference, I'll be quiet. Uh, her, and <laughs> her and Barney became good friends and played all the time on the White House lawn. Now, after the term was up, after the Bush term presidency was up, the family moved to Dallas, bringing both Barney and Miss Beasley with them. Now, Barney passed away in 2014, and Miss Beasley unfortunately died from cancer in 2014. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Brendan from Lynchburg, Virginia. Brendan says, I want my dog to swim, but she is just not into it. Now, she's a yellow lab, so you would think she would take to it like a fish. We adopted her a few weeks ago, and she's about four years old. She is cautious of the water, not scared, but just won't go in. Any tips for trying to make a duck out of this dog? <laughs> Thanks for the question, Brendan. Great question. Yeah, you know, look, I had a yellow lab, half yellow lab, half golden, and I adopted him at like seven or eight years old, and I couldn't get him to go in the pool, I'll be honest. You know, he really just hated it. <laughs> it's like one of the few dogs ever I have not been able to convince to love the pool. Some dogs just 
don't want anything to do with it. Now, look, yellow lab and like my, my lab golden, he was, a, he was a special dog to say the least. <laughs> but look, yellow labs, I've, I've come across it a handful of times where maybe they don't like the water. You can, you can most likely fix this being that uh, your dog is younger and that it's not like a fear of the water because that's usually what you encounter on having a much more difficult time is when a dog is truly scared of the water. Um, you know, look, I, I know it's a yellow lab at the same time if you feel like maybe she's not the most buoyant yellow lab, it might be, or, or she just doesn't use her back legs and her butt tends to sink or something like that that makes her uncomfortable, a doggy life vest might not be a bad idea for a little while. Um, a lot of times putting on one of those vests, obviously it makes them float, it makes them buoyant, and it can actually make them feel a lot more comfortable in the water. And I've especially discovered with dogs who don't want to use their back legs, just creating that buoyancy makes them want to use their back legs, makes them more comfortable to want to try to kick with those back legs as opposed to feeling that sinking feeling, right? Um, so sometimes a vest can help. The other thing you might want to try is a gradual entry. If you can find a lake or a river or something like that, that you you know, you can, your dog can swim in, the gradual entry can make them feel more comfortable um, than, you know, going straight in a pool and having like the ground just disappear out from under their feet. So having that gradual uh, can really help build the confidence with the water. Biggest thing is just don't force it and take your time. It could take you a month or two to really get her comfortable and wanting to go in on her own. There's nothing wrong with using some treats too. Trying to maybe get her comfortable with just standing in the water. That's where that gradual entry, just standing and hanging out for a while, feeding her some treats. If she likes a tennis ball, let her have the tennis ball in the water while she's standing there. Um, that's where I start with my dogs. And when I bring dogs in, we start just on the steps of the pool and being cool with that. Once I let them in and out, you know, then they let them get out, let them get in, let them get out, do that a couple times, maybe the second step. The point is, though, I take baby steps and I really try not to force it. At some point, maybe, guy, you know, there is a little bit of forcing and trying to pull them in once they're getting comfortable. But overall, I want to just take my time, dip the toe in the water, right? One thing at a time, really slowly. Uh, another thing you might want to try is get some, if you've got friends that have dogs that love to swim or family members, uh, dog park that maybe has a pond that they can swim in. A lot of times letting them watch other dogs be confident around the pool and swim in the pool can really help build their confidence with it too. So uh, a couple things to think about, but biggest thing I can say is just really take your time with it and don't try to force it. Next question. This comes from Maddie from Winchester, Virginia. We had two Virginia questions today. Lots of fun. Uh, Maddie says, hey, David, I have a question regarding biking to exercise our six-month-old Australian cattle dog, Lainey. We thought biking would be a perfect way to run Miss Lainey to give her the proper exercise for such a high-energy breed. However, she tries to herd the bike by barking and attempting to bite the bike tire. Uh, bite the Bike, bike the back back tire, there we go, which is a major concern for obviously both her safety and whoever is riding the bike. Now I'd like for her to overcome her lunging at the rear tire as I think biking could be something both her and I could enjoy doing together while fulfilling her much needed exercise requirements. Do you have any suggestions or recommendations for me to overcome the urge to attack the bike? P.S. My husband and I love your podcast. We found it extremely helpful when it comes to teaching a proper walk and improving our pup's confidence. Thank you. Maddie, thank you. Thanks for listening. I appreciate that. That's awesome. I'm glad you guys are enjoying and it's been helping with the walk. That's fantastic. Maddie, I have to say, if you haven't had a chance, if you're an uh, Apple podcast listener, do me a favor, click that five-star review if you haven't yet. Maybe leave me a nice little blurb there. I'd really appreciate it. If you're on Spotify, you can always click the five-star review 
anything is greatly appreciated. So thank you, thank you for listening and thank you for the question. Uh, same thing with you, Brendan. Don't forget, give me that five-star rating. Uh, <laughs> all right, so... Um, yeah, you know, biking, this is a tougher thing. Obviously, you have a herding dog, a herding breed. It's going to be a little tougher. Um, all right, so you said the walk has improved. Let's talk about the walk. The first question I would ask you, honestly, is how is the quality of the walk? Do you feel like it's really controlled, and do you feel like you have Laney's focus? Okay, um, if you do feel like you have Laney's focus and the walk is going pretty well, then we can move to the next step. If not, get that walk a little more under control and get that focus is really what I'm concerned about. I want to be able to redirect the focus. Um, if you've been listening to enough of the episodes, maybe you're working that kissing noise exercise. If not, go back and check that out. Um, but I want to be able to redirect Lainey's focus. It's very important. It's very, very important that you have the ability to guide and direct her focus. Okay. While you're out on the walk, the next thing is going to be that, and this is going to be, t- it's going to take two of you. You and your husband are going to have to approach this together because I need one of you handling the bike and one of you handling Laney, okay? Slowly but surely, all I want you to start doing is walking the bike, right? Walking the bike around and trying to teach her to leave it alone. If Laney knows a leave it command, we're going to utilize that as well. Um, you can see I try to hit this from a couple of different angles. I want to try to make sure I have her focus while we're on the walk, and I want to make maybe hopefully she knows a leave it command. That way we can combine all that together to try to get her to leave the bike tire alone. I just want your husband or you know, vice versa, whoever's handling Laney, whoever's handling the dog, walk the bike. Don't even ride it. Just walk it around very slowly, maybe in your driveway or just outside your home, uh, not far away, very slowly. Because if she's reactionary to just the bike even moving slowly, you can forget it. <laughs> For right now, you can forget it uh, full speed trying to ride her on the bike. So I would start slowly there. Um, honestly, that's where it begins. Because if you can't get Lainey ignoring the bike, just walking it, there's no hope once you're full on riding it, okay? So you have to solidify that, spend a little time teaching her to ignore the wheels. Um, You know, look, it might be a little bit of a process. I'm not gonna lie, if she's a puppy, you know, it could be a little time to get her start ignoring this. But that leave it command is gonna go a long way. So yeah, first thing I want you to do, leave it command, kissy noise, redirecting, making sure the walk is under control. Second thing we're gonna do is just walk the bike around slowly, teaching her to leave it like that. Look, this is something you got to take your time with, and I don't want you to rush because you already know it. You've said it. It can be very dangerous. There, I, look, I, I had a client a couple years ago. It's the only time I've ever had this happen in 13 plus years. But yeah, the dog unfortunately got in front of the tire, and the dog hurt, hurt, or hurt his arm. He's fine now. He's healed, but he hurt his arm, and the owner even got a little bruised up too. We got to be careful. Biking can be very dangerous with dogs, so you really have to take it slowly and take your time. To me, I want to be able to. You, you, I wouldn't work it to riding on the bike with her until one person can walk the bike and hold Laney and walk it around and control it. If you can't get that, I wouldn't move on to the next step yet uh, because because of the safety issue between you guys and her, okay? Uh, look, Matt, if you have any more questions, feel free to reach out to me. If you want to maybe even do a virtual consultation, we can talk more about it. Um, you know, I'm actually, I, I kind of need to announce it, don't I? I'm going to be doing free virtual consultations for all you guys for a little while. We're going to do it, plug it a little more. Um, you know, we got the YouTube page up and going too. So sort of a little uh, exciting, exciting moment and exciting momentum for the podcast. So I'm offering free consultations for a little while to everybody out there. If you want to talk more about your dog and your training, Maddie, feel free to reach out to me more and uh, we can talk more in depth. But I hope that gets you on the right track and helps you get started and lay that foundation, make it strong without actually riding the bike. 
like, and then you can go from there. So good luck to you guys out there and good luck training your dogs. Thanks for all the questions. Don't forget guys, more questions. If you have them for me, you can email me questions at speakadogcast.com or message me on social media. And if you want to set up the consultation for your training, same thing. Just reach out to me. We'll talk and we'll get your dog's behavior under better control. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday. You're going to want to check them out. Follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. Be sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel at speakadogcast. Click like, click you love it. Let me know you're loving what you hear. A very special thank you to my Patreon pup supporter, Ragula Wright. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.